Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today I get to welcome back championship culture expert Daniel Horwitz to the show. Now, he was with me three weeks ago, and we had so much to talk about that I asked him to come back as soon as possible to finish sharing the 14 principles to educate, energize, and empower your team, where he shared how many life lessons can be taught using sports as a platform. Now, Daniel serves as a leadership consultant and assists sports teams and companies to help improve and enhance productivity, trust, communication, accountability, teamwork, very important, diversity and inclusion, culture, and so much more. So as a coach, accumulating knowledge on culture and disseminating that knowledge to players can have a long-lasting impact. As a player, you have the ability to maximize your leadership skills as well as help promote a team environment that's going to bring out the best in everyone, including yourself. And as I mentioned, this doesn't have to just be for sports. A lot of what he's talking about and is teaching me through chatting with him and reading his book, I'm incorporating into working with my team to help us be ever better, ever more. So, Daniel, welcome back to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Oh, and thank you for sending me your book. I was reading it again this past weekend. I have a Kindle copy, but I always appreciate the feel of a good book in my hand. So, welcome. Hi, Denise. Yes. So awesome to be back and uh, just very excited to uh, continue our great conversation. Well, there's, and it was, and I remember saying, okay, we can't just let this language. We got most of the way through the, <laughs> the, the tips that you were sharing, but we didn't get all the way through. And I wanted to make sure that people who are listening to this podcast really got the whole thing. So, you know, the book is available on Kindle. Uh, I think it's still if you have Kindle, uh, what is it, Prime Kindle? Anyway, I think it's still yeah. free if you have whatever it is. I have it, and I can't remember <laughs> what it is. But if not, the the book is also available on your website. But it was a fascinating conversation. So if you would, let's go ahead, and I'll get you to recap what we talked about the last time you were here, because it wasn't that long ago, thank goodness. And then we can pick up where we left off. Yeah, so... I think that the best place to start is the quote that I shared in the uh, last conversation, which is nobody cares how much you know until they know how much you care. And yes, that's uh, in the sports context with, you know, coaches and players, but it's also in, in everyday life and making sure that the people that you're surrounded with know that you have a genuine interest in helping them be the best they can be, um, as well as trying to help your team be the best they can be as well. And uh, there's a lot of little things that you can do as um, a leader to to send that message to the, the people that you're surrounded with. Um, a few things that we talked about were uh, touches, which is in the sport context where you give high fives, fist bumps, pats on the back. And obviously now a lot of things are virtual. So checking in with text or phone calls, uh, emails, or sending somebody something in the mail, like a card or a gift, little things like that, that 
show that you're thinking about uh, people in your life go a long way. Um, another thing that we talked about was uh, just positive talk, which is where you're just kind of empowering your team and saying, you know, today's going to be a good day and just talking those things into existence and, and finding the positives, especially with, you know, COVID and everything going on. It's not always the easiest thing to do, but if you do it every day, it becomes a habit and uh, you're more enjoyable to be around when you're a positive person. Um, and then I think the the last one to share would just be the pregame gratitude, which is, you know, we're very fortunate to, you know, to be on this earth and, and to have, you know, uh, every day is so precious. So I think it's really important to, to have um, a mentality where you're grateful for, you know, your health, your family, your, your friends, and uh, just the, the people in your life. And if you approach every day with a, a gratitude mindset, I think a lot of things will uh, look a lot better for you um, and your mindset with uh, whatever you're doing that day. No question. Listen, I'm not a Pollyannish kind of person. I'm not one of these people that is going to repeat mantras back to myself. I like to make my own. You know, I want to know what I'm really thinking. Yet there are some great quotes across the Internet, and I find them and I use them. But I'm not one of those people that's going to bounce out of bed and go, I'm going to be happy today. I'm either happy or I'm not, right? So it's up to me to make sure that I'm in charge of my attitude from the minute I wake up. So gratitude for me is the one thing, it's the first thing I do every single minute. Now, I'm up and down all night long. So I'm not one of those people, unfortunately, who can go to bed, sleep for eight hours and wake up rested. Does, if I sleep eight hours, I'm dying. I'm really sick. There's something <laughs> wrong. <laughs> but, oh, no. yeah, I know it's terrible. But when I wake up for that final time, you know that, that when I know I'm going to open my eyes and hit the floor running, like my mom used to say, "Oh God, the devil says she's awake. Get out of the way." <laughs> I stopped doing that when I realized that I was not taking the time before I get my butt out of that bed and say, "Hey, thanks." You know, whatever today is going to be, I'm going to make the best of it. And I think once you understand that gratitude is such a huge part of how we operate, it does make a difference in how you operate, so to speak. Yeah, I I think that's a great way to go about it, especially when you wake up. A lot of people go right to their laptop or their phone. So the fact that you do that, is there anything specific for you, Denise, that you when you wake up that you say you're grateful for or does that kind of change on a day-to-day basis it changes because I again I don't sleep well I'm kind of hovering over the bed half the time I think I don't really go into what I would call a very deep sleep so there's and I'm a very busy sleeper I mean I have I've written books in my sleep I've done all kinds of things <laughs> so it depends on what I was thinking about or you know what was kind of seeping into my self-conscious subconscious rather that's what I'm going to be sharing to the world before I get out of bed if that makes any sense yeah it's good and it's uh, you know we talked about like pre kind of presetting an attitude so that's a great way to start your day well before I have to tell you before I started doing that yeah I my mom would say that the devil says she's awake oh crap but <laughs> yeah and I would get a lot done but I wasn't really aware I don't think that I was grateful. And once I started making, well, first of all, I stretch real hard because, you know, side sleepers are all crunched up into the fetal position. So I have to kind of stretch and work all that out. But 
as I'm doing that, I'm oh, that popped. Oh, that felt good. And all of a sudden, I'm already in gratitude. And then I just go forward from there. But I will not let myself get out of the bed until I'm done. And my cats have learned, do not step on my bladder because it'll get ugly because I've got to stay here. (laughs) (laughs) Like, no, don't touch. But it's just once you start that kind of practice, you do change over time. You do get it, I guess. Yeah, I think it's not an easy thing to implement. But if you're, but, you know, it's like making your bed. You know, there's a, a great, like, YouTube inspirational video about just make your bed. You know, it's a great way to start your day with like a, yeah. a, a win. Admiral. You know, so, yeah. yeah, the Admiral who exactly. did that was terrific. I can't remember his name right now, McCracken or something like that. But McCra- I don't remember his name, but it's a terrific. Uh, yeah, he's right. Okay, so don't let me interrupt you. I want you to tell us what we need to learn here. You know, these there's so many life lessons that we can be using, using sports. And, you know, I've shared with you, I don't know anything about sports, even though one of my very dearest friends is Jim Tunney. You know, he's the Dean of NFL referees. He's, he tries to teach me. He really does. (laughs) Doesn't work, but you know, God bless him, you know, for being so patient, but he, I will tell you, he's one of the best people I've ever met in terms of teaching lifelong lessons using sports or, you know, seeing how people are operating and then tying that to sports. So, I mean, you're in good company there. Well, thank you. Yeah. I think uh, there are a lot of transferable skills through sports. So it's awesome to be able to share those, you know, with your listeners today. Good enough. Well, listen, you go ahead and start and I will do my best to not interrupt you. I'm not promising, but I'm going to try. Well, that's all right. But uh, I think we left out the principle uh, 10. We got through nine. And uh, principle 10 is timeouts. So things may be going well or things may not be going uh, very great for your team that day. So a timeout in a sports context is when you get a a allotted amount of time to speak with your team. And what I learned from the best teams is in the basketball context, when a coach calls a timeout, Sometimes players will be tired, so they'll slowly walk off the court, or they'll be uh, upset because they're losing, and they just take their time to get to the bench. And that uh, wastes a lot of time, especially in basketball. you got like a 30-second or a one-minute timeout. So the best teams I've noticed from my you know, in-game observation is that they jog over uh, to their bench. And you know, during that timeout, like I said, you could be, things could be going well, um, or, you know, you might need an adjustment. So it's a a time for a head coach in the basketball context or, you know, the boss and in the workforce and time to get your team together and to explain what the game plan is. Maybe you're going to change something up or maybe you're just going to instill confidence in the game plan and just tell them to continue doing what they're doing because you don't always see results as quickly as you want. But if you, you keep at it and you're confident in what you're doing. I think it's a, a great opportunity to kind of that moment uh, and take the emotions out of it from the, the game that's going so fast and to just let them know that like, we're, on, we're on the right path and things will, uh, you know, start to turn around if we keep doing what we're doing. Uh, another so thing as, you can do during the time. Yeah, go ahead. So as a leader or a coach, it really behooves you to see who's kind of pouting, who's dragging, who's lagging for whatever reasons and figure out how to help them. Is that about right? 
Yes, absolutely. Okay. And it's important. It's important too because if the if the coach or the leader is confused or they, you know they need some help, I think it's a great time to empower your your assistant coaches or the people that you work with. Like, hey, what ideas do you have? Like, you know, this was the plan, and we thought this was going to work, but it's not. So, does anybody have any ideas? And as a leader, I think that takes um, a lot of uh, hum- humility to be able to to say that to your team. But it also shows or sends a message that you care about the success of the team because you need some help, and it's okay to to ask for help. So, uh, you know, a lot of great coaches that I've studied and spoken with, they they do things like that. And then also when your team wins, the, the best coaches I've noticed, especially in, in sports, the high-level sports, when they win, they give their team and their coach, their assistant coaches the credit. And when they lose, they take the, the blame um, and the criticism for them. And, uh, and I think that, like I said, it just sends a great message to your team when you're humble about winning and then you also stand up for your team and show you have their back uh, after a loss. I've seen that as well, and I see that across the board in business. I see it in marketing. These days, and, and, you know, there's been an awful lot of talk about transparency and, you know, being a little bit kinder and more compassionate, not being, you know, I guess coaches and leaders are often expected to be a hard nose. Many of us really are not, but we have to find that vulnerability, I guess, because it's difficult. Look, for me to say, I'm sorry, oh, boy, I have to sit in the corner and talk to myself, but it's I'm getting better. <laughs> I can do it. I can do it. But it's, you know, it took me a long time to figure out that I need to do it. I have to do it, and I better learn to like it. So I understand what you're saying. I think that's a great word, vulnerability. And like you said, it's not an easier probably comfortable thing to do but if you can create that environment where everybody kind of opens up and and just wants the best for the team great things can happen where if you you didn't ever um allow your team to see a different side of you and like you said just barking orders or demands i don't think that i think you can get some results but i don't think you'll get sustained success um and i think a lot of turnover would happen if that's the way you did it um, with your company. Absolutely. Nobody wants to be told what to do all the time. We come to work. We come to play. We come to be a team because we have skills. We have a lot of skills. We don't want to be stuck in a corner and say, okay, you do this. You do WordPress. You guys over here, you do this. And there's no interaction and there's no sharing. You know, that's not what a team is at all. And listen, if you're just you, just one person, and you're your team, have a talk with yourself. You're probably your own bottleneck. Yeah. I think, it's like you said, you don't want to pigeonhole somebody into a, to one specific job. And I know in our last conversation you talked about how you can do some of the jobs. I think you used uh, MailChimp as an example. And, I can uh, do all of them. You know, I just don't want yeah, to. Yeah, you can. Exactly. And there's people out there that are passionate about those things and can do them very well. So you surround yourself with people that, are passionate about the job that you're hiring them to do um, or their role on a sports team. And then you got a, you got a tough team to beat if you get all those parts in the, the right spots. Exactly. And I learned the hard way that I don't want or need to do every single thing, but I do need to have sufficient uh, 
intellect, if you will, or knowledge about how it's supposed to work so I can make suggestions and, and then ask for feedback. Because look, I hire people who are better at me than some things deliberately. And I do that because they're in their niche, whatever it is, let's say WordPress, and they're going to stay on top of everything that's new. I'm not doing that so much. I'm, you know, I'm not, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm not losing my marbles over it, but these guys are better than I am in some areas, and I know it, and I appreciate it because I hired them for that reason. Yeah, and I, I also heard, um, going off what you just said, um, it's called Go Moments from a friend of mine oh. and- he shared they're called it's growth opportunities. So say you ask you hired someone to do a job and maybe they're doing it well, but not the way you know Denise would do it. So you say, hey, let's like we're gonna have a go moment, you know, in a few minutes or set up a time, and it's just an opportunity where you're gonna provide feedback on what they're doing, and it's not like a criticism. You know, you're just you're phrasing it as a, a growth opportunity, and um, I thought that was a really good way to like kind of get the stigma off of like this is like a you know a bad meeting it's just an opportunity for us to to get better and for me to communicate uh, the job that I want you to do and how I want you to do it exactly I just wrote that down okay keep going I'm trying not to interrupt but I'm not doing a real good job <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> that's okay no I I'm I learned what you share so it's uh it's all good um, the next one is uh principle 11 so next play mentality so a next play mentality is where you have a basically you move on to the next play, good or bad. So it's kind of like the timeout, but the next play mentality is in the game. So in the game of basketball, so you make a shot and uh, you know you want to celebrate, but there's no time to celebrate because you have to run back on defense, uh, or you the other team scores and instead of pouting about it, you decide to sprint down the court and, and try to go score on them. So it's the those few seconds where you can where you can either have to make the tough decision where you're going to either keep going or you're going to just stop moving and, and let the, the outcome that just happened uh, affect your next decision. And uh, I was watching a, a great um, TV series called Ted Lasso a few days ago, and uh, I wanted to ask you the question, Denise. Do you know what the uh, happiest animal in the world is? In my house, it's a cat. No, I, I actually don't. <laughs> They're well taken care of. <laughs> I do. That's awesome. So in the show, he says it's a goldfish because they only have a 10-second memory. <laughs> so I love that. So it's like so a player made a mistake on the soccer field, and he's talking to him. I think the, the character's name is Sam, and he goes, he goes, Sam. So Sam made a mistake, and he goes, Sam, be a goldfish. And, like, it just, like, clicked with him. And I just thought that was a great example of the, the next play mentality. <laughs> Oh, I am going to be using that. I'm actually going to take a marker and go scribble it on my bathroom mirror. Be a goldfish. <laughs> Thank yeah. you. And yeah, I so we can all really, plan it our life. Yeah. I, what I want to know is how did somebody, researchers, I, I don't know, how did they find out it's 10 seconds? But seriously, I want to know yeah. how they did that. I'm going to have to look that up. Now I'm fascinated. <laughs> I did some research. I, I know that uh, – there was different studies. I think one said like three seconds and one said 10, but in the show, he shared 10 seconds. So that's uh, what I wanted to quote. Um, I'm not a scientist, so don't, don't hold me to it. But I just thought that was a great analogy for the next play mentality and, and how to keep moving forward despite, um, you know, the current uh, circumstance and how we can continue to grow and get better. 
I think I shared with you that when I need to meditate because I have a squirrel brain, it doesn't shut down, it doesn't be quiet, it just keeps on rolling. And even when I try to sleep, so I'm, I just live with it. But my form of meditation is what I call open refrigerator door syndrome. Did I tell you about this? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I'm going to tell the audience real quick. When my brain can't take it anymore, which is frequently during the day, I will walk to my refrigerator, open up these French doors. I will open them up, stick my torso as far as I can in there, and it's about 10 seconds. And we all know if you have an open refrigerator door, you're not thinking about a darn thing. You don't know why you're there, how you got there, what you wanted, and you wind up grabbing a bottle of water or something. I am now going to add to my refrigerator door meditation be a goldfish that's perfect (laughs) (laughs) guess what i'm doing as soon as we end this podcast i'm going to go be a goldfish that is awesome and uh and the the show is great as it talks as the coach the the things that we've talked about in our conversations is just about being a a great um leader and 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 appealing to you know the, the hearts of the people that you're leading he uh you know that same player that I mentioned in the show. He that he was uh, from Nigeria, and they're playing in a different country, so he's uh, far from home. And they have a big their big first game is, and he's the head coach, and he's more concerned about getting the the player uh, presence and having the whole team pitch in to get him um, some food or or some things that remind him from Nigeria. And it just showed the kind that he cared about that player and some of the players started kind of like like kind of give them like that head nod like they approved of you know and some were some were like you know so some were like like some of the the harder nosed guys that just want to compete um which you get you know there's a mixed bag they were like coach like we should be focused on the game plan um obviously it's a tv show but you know there's it just shows that you know like a birthday is a really important thing to celebrate for some people um some people don't you know care too much about that but i think it's important to ask the case okay if we celebrate your birthday and maybe post about you on social media or, or get you a cake or send you a, a present, whatever it may be. Um, I think those things are important as well. You know, and we've talked about this. I mean, in the last nine or 10 months, even though I tried my hardest not to bring up COVID or anything going with it, because we were told in the beginning it was three weeks. So, yeah, my thinking at the time was we, we don't have to talk about it. And then it became apparent that we have to talk about it. One of the things that I have been noticing a lot on social media and even how people that I know pretty well are responding to, you know, things that are happening around them is they're digging deep to find kindness and patience and try to be helpful. Some of them are not nearly, me included, as testy as they can be. Are you seeing that? Yeah, I think, I think so. I I think I, I definitely agree with that. And, the kindness, I think, is uh, such a good word and can mean a lot to, to different people. Um, but, yeah, I think people are showing more empathy and, you know, it's it's shared adversity. That's and, the word I was looking for, empathy. You know, yeah, empathy. And, and then, go, like, we're shared adversity for, for teams in general. Like, it's a, it's a really powerful thing because you all understand that you're going through a t- difficult time. And for us, you know, in this whole world, we're – we're all going through a tough time. So I think it's easier to relate to somebody else's current situation because in some way we're all affected, um, whether it's maybe financially or not, but your day-to-day is definitely probably changed for, for some people um, and, and what you're able to do on a day-to-day basis. So 
I think uh, that's uh, something I've noticed as well, yeah. And I'm not saying that everybody should walk around with a handkerchief and moan and cry and say, oh, you know, I'm just so kind and I just love you. That's nonsense. Be yourself, but be a better self. Yeah. And I, I, I question I have for you is do you think, because every state is different right now in Connecticut where, I'm, uh, where I live, uh, there's like minimal um, like seating and some places to eat and you have to wear your mask. And I was talking to some family and friends about smiling under your mask because I like to try to smile and you know, even at a stranger just that maybe they, they need a little pick me up or say just hello and, and keep walking. Important for people that do that to still smile despite having a mask on when walking like past people. Or do you think, it, uh, you know, you should wait till with the mask are off and then maybe continue to smile? The eyes are the window to the soul. When you're smiling, if you're properly smiling, it shows in your face. It shows from the nose on up. It shows up in your eyes. We don't have real problems with masks here. We're just, we're by and large open. Um, but I hear really horror stories from people who live in California and New York. And, you know, friends of mine are just saying, man, Denise, can I move into your house? No, but you can come sit on the porch. <laughs> you know, but, but we we don't express. But I do notice when I do get around people who are wearing masks, and seriously, most of us just don't. Uh, we do social distance. We do take care. You know, we're trying to be as good as we can about not getting into people's faces. But I've noticed, you know, this is the South. We all say, Hey, how you doing? How's your mom and them? It's just natural, but I'll come yeah. across complete strangers in the grocery store and they'll smile and nod and I can see it in their eyes. So yeah, smile. Wow. Absolutely. That's great. And I think we all need some Southern hospitality, whether it's, you know, we're going through a pandemic or not. You know. Oh yeah, <laughs> open the door. So. Open the doors for each other. I mean, just be kind. It's not difficult. It shouldn't even be a decision. It ought to be natural. That's a great way to put it. You're right. And I think, you know, like you said, holding the door. I got went, got a, um, you know, bagel this morning, and try to hold the door for a few people, and hopefully that encourages them to to do that for the next person and, and things like that. So. Um, exactly. Awesome. Well, I, yeah. So I will. Uh, I'll go on to the next principle. Twelve is the bench, and the phrase I like to say is body language screams. So if you're uh, a player and maybe you you're not playing at all, so you're sitting uh, removed and far away from your teammates at the end of the bench, and you're kind of leaning in your chair with your arms crossed and looking down or looking in the opposite direction of the game, that's in the immediate message to your coach and to your teammates of how you're feeling without even saying a word. And our actions and, and words are um, just very important and, and do communicate um, a lot. So from the bench perspective, uh, the best teams in the country are super excited for their team on the court and extremely supportive as well. So what I found going to these games in person, like the, the guy at the end of the bench or the girl at the end of the bench, they do not care that they're not playing. Uh, and, yes, these teams that I'm studying are the best in the, in the country, so there's a lot to cheer about. Um, but I've also found in, in other teams that are maybe not the best but also pretty successful in regard to their record, they're all locked in. And I think the best thing about sports is, you know, you, it takes a lot to be 
um, a very good player and a very good team. So that's your nutrition, you know, the sleep that you talked about, you know, you might not get the, the best sleep but finding what works for you. If you take naps and stuff like that, uh, weightlifting, and then working on your skills on your own on top of practicing with the team, like all those things go into being the best you can be. And I think when it's time for the lights to be on and the game to be, uh, to, you know, to be going on, I think the the best teams are very excited when their their teammates do well because they know how much time they put into, to you know, to be out there on the court. And the other thing is um, in basketball, you only have about 200 minutes, I believe, um, for playing time between, you know, all of your players. And that's not a lot of minutes. So there's definitely going to be players on the bench. But um, it's important to find ways to add value to your team when you're on the bench and also stay engaged so when your time comes, you can go into the game and, uh, and do well. Um, but if you're that player at the end of the bench and you're pouting and you're not paying attention, one, the coach is not going to put you in, and two, um, you're probably, you know, you're probably not going to be very well liked by your teammates because you're not sharing for them. And um, another coach shared um, on a podcast I listened to about the smile battle, and that's what you and I just talked about. But he, he said that he thinks the teams that smile more and are having more fun and enjoying the moment with their team usually end up winning the game. And I've noticed that too. The teams that I studied, they're, they're having fun, they're laughing, they're smiling, they're, they're obviously working very hard. But if you, you need to approach what you're doing with that, like we talked about the gratitude, but also just joy and being excited that you're in that moment with your teammates. And um, those are a few things that I've learned from my research. And I was just going to ask you, in fact, I wrote it down because you said something I, I thought was fascinating about bringing value even when you're on the bench. And I, all I could think was, how in the world do you do that? And then you covered a good bit of it. But is there anything in particular that you have seen maybe once or twice or even time and time again that really sticks with you when somebody's on the bench, they might be in that end slot, but they're just bringing it. You have anything to share? Well, I you know immediately think of um, ESPN and there was a team called Monmouth, um, a men's basketball team and their bench where they did like really funny um, celebrations. Like they'd all, after they made a three pointer, the team would sit on the ground and act like they were rowing a boat. And there was like four of them. Um, <laughs> and they're all on the ground in the middle of the game. And everybody, and it went viral all over ESPN. Like you can Google Monmouth men's basketball celebrate, bench celebrations. And uh, they're shooting arrows into the sky. Um, I think one of them acted like they caught a fish. And three of them are holding one of the guys and somebody else took a picture. Um, so those are just great ways to celebrate your team on the court, um, which I think is, is a great – um, in championship culture environments. Like, that happens um, with those best teams. Um, and let's think of other advice. Um, I would say just being um, a great teammate in regard to if one of, like, your your, your players gets subbed out and, and talking to them and, and maybe sharing your input on maybe they've missed a, a pass or something like that or, you know, in the, the workplace, like maybe you had a suggestion of how something could have done been, been done more efficiently. I think just having those conversations from a, you know, and approaching it from a place where you care about trying to just help them. Um, I think those conversations can go a long way. So I was just saying just to be in sync with your team, with your teammates um, is a really important thing. 
You have a quote on Principle 12 when you're talking about the bench. The important thing is that your teammates have to know you're pulling for them and you really want them to be successful. Kobe Bryant. And you just, you know, spoke very eloquently about that. Yeah, I think the Kobe Bryant, um, uh, obviously uh, he was a fantastic player and unfortunately passed away. That was a tougher all you know the basketball community um but you know anybody that was a just a fan of somebody who was relentless in the pursuit of being the best they can be and he's somebody that a lot of people try to model their work ethic after and i think it's probably close to impossible to to be the elite athlete in person that he was but we can all try to take bits and pieces of you know the videos of you know his mamba mentality and things he shared um, you know, on social media and stuff like that to try to be the best version of ourselves. And, you know, he was a, a great teammate. He he brought the best out in everybody that he stepped on the court with, and that's just by his actions. You know, he'd be there at the, <laughs> 3 a.m. or whatever it would be. He'd be working on his game and be in a full sweat when his other teammates came to practice. And, um, you know, people wonder why he was the best, and he was willing to, to sacrifice um, a lot of other things that maybe people focus on, and uh, it was just all about the work and and getting better. So um, I think having having that quote in there means a lot to me, um, just because he's a, such a you know a great person um, and athlete that I always looked up to. You know, Daniel, I when this happened when he passed away, I was familiar with him. I mean. Obviously, you have to be because of the problems he had in his marriage, and that got ugly, and, you know, we all couldn't really avoid it. But I didn't dwell, and it wasn't any of my business, and I'm not really into the gossip magazines. I mean, most of them I find truly offensive. But when he passed and when that happened, I mean, I remember grabbing my stomach and going, oh, my God. And right about that same time, we had a horrible accident. Plane went down here and lost you know, some sports people. And I was like, what in the heck is going on? So I started looking around at Kobe because I wanted a new sense of who he was rather than, you know, the problems with him and his wife. Again, none of my business, but it was stuck in my head. And I realized very quickly that pictures of him, he was always smiling, the joy. He could be sweating bullets. The joy just radiated out of this guy. He loved what he was doing, wherever he was, whatever he was doing. I don't think I found any of him frowning or shaking his fist at anything. He was in love with life. I mean, unless I'm missing something. That's a, I don't think I looked at it in that detail. Obviously, I mentioned the things I admire about him, but I think you, you are very accurate in that he is. He did love what he did, what he did on a day-to-day basis, and he was always smiling. And I know there's some great pictures of him and his family and his his right. daughters, and you could just see it, like you said, in his eyes for how genuinely happy he he was. And he was such a great advocate for women's basketball. And um, I didn't you know, know that. You know, yeah. Like oh he, yeah, he I do. Big. Yeah, because of his daughter. I'm sorry, I did know that. Yeah, yeah. So he was, you know, that's unfortunate too because he was moving things in the right direction and equality, um, you know, between men and women and making sure they had the same opportunities, you know, in regard to being professional athletes. And, um, you know, so he was doing a lot of great things and created some great momentum that I'm sure a lot of people are trying to black and continue moving things in the right direction. 
I was just going to ask you, I mean, that didn't just die off. I mean, surely people are saying, Kobe, we got this. You know, we're going to, you know, pick up where you left off and we're going to keep on. Yeah, I think he's, Kobe is definitely one of the most loved um, celebrities and athletes of all time. And, you know, I think he did everything he could um, in his time. And you know, I'm sure there are people that are moving it forward and, and, uh, you know, the women's game has grown so much, and I think in the next few years it will continue to grow as well. That's amazing. I hope it does. I mean, I'm sure it will. You can't just drop something that important. So it'll be interesting to see where all of that goes. Okay, so we're on Principle 12, and I'm still interrupting you. Sorry. <laughs> right. No, I'm enjoying it. Definitely. I'm smiling over here, too. You can't see it, but um, – yeah, so uh, so we said principle 12 was the bench, and then principle 13, uh, I think, is the last one we haven't talked about, uh, which is communication. And we kind of alluded to it earlier, but just actions and words. Um, like you said, like if you're walking down the street and you hold the door for somebody and smile at them, that sends a message that you're a friendly person, uh, you know, opposed to or and not looking behind you and just letting it close in somebody's face. Those are two different messages. So in regards to the sport context, there's different type of communication. So there's player to player where it's, you know, the way you talk to your teammates and then there's the coach to player and how, you know, you respect your coach and the way they communicate to you. And then there's the coach to referee, which I think is uh, a vital one and a team's success. And then the coach to coach and how you treat your, uh, your peers. So I think the coach to referee is the one that I like to talk about because in a game, if everything is equal and one coach is very calm and they learn the names of the refs before the game and they shake their hands and look them in the eye and just say, you know, have a good game. And then when a call happens that they don't agree with, they can call them over and say, Hey Mike, like, like I, I thought that was a, wasn't a foul. Like, why did you call that or something like that? Just in a respectful way opposed to a coach, which if you turn on, uh, you know, any games, especially these high division one games, they're yelling, their faces are red and they're, you know, they're giving the refs um, every word that they can think of for why they don't agree with the call. And I think if you take two teams that are very equal in talent, and then you take a coach that treats the referee well, I think that team will probably end up winning uh, more just because you might be inclined to get a few more calls because you're not, screaming at them and trying to belittle them. Um, and I just think it's a really tough thing for officials. Like they don't care who wins. They're just trying to do the best they can be uh, or do the best job that they can do. And the other thing about it is when you see a coach yelling at the, the referees, their players are probably doing the same exact thing. So when the call doesn't go their way, instead of just taking responsibility and having that next play mentality that we talked about by running back on defense, sometimes the player will use that as a time to take a break and throw their hands up and complain to the ref. So I think, uh, you know, the, the teams I've studied have really uh, admirable um, coaching styles, uh, you know, the, the head coach, because they treat the, the referees well, they treat their players well, and uh, they treat, uh, you know, everybody in the program well. And uh, I saw a video that my, my twin brother showed me uh, yesterday, and a coach was yelling at one of his players. You know, it must have done something where he messed up and the, he subbed the player out, and the coach is yelling at him. And the kid, this big guy, probably like six, 
six or bit taller, and he just bear hugged his coach. And the coach instantly went from yelling to just started smiling and kind of like made a joke out of it. And I just thought that was a, a great message as well that the player knew he messed up. He understood what the coach wanted, but he didn't want to hear him talk anymore. So we just gave him a big bear hug. And then the coach was smiling and that. Yeah. So that, that went viral on, uh, on social media. And um, I just thought that was a, another cool thing. Um, so, yeah. You know, it's interesting that we're talking about coaches and head coaches this morning. And I mentioned Jim Tunney, number 32, um, yeah. earlier. And I posted a blog for him today. It's, he, he's remembering Don Shula. You know, Don Shula passed last year. And yeah. Don Shula was one of Jim's very best friends. They were tremendously good friends for about 50 years. But there was a time where, um, you know, Shula would yell at him on the, on the, wow. the team. Yeah, if they're on the field and Tony would just say, nope, we're not, we're not, you're not going to yell at me and get this by. But what he did, which I thought was pretty interesting, and it, it plays to what you're talking about, is that when he became the coach of the Miami Dolphins, Shula were talking about, they lost. You know, they they lost in, um, gosh, which one was it? 19, anyway, it was Super Bowl six, I think, Dallas Cowboys. And they lost, and Jim, of course, was the referee in that Super Bowl. But he says that lost inspired Shula, as le- legend has it, to give this post-game speech to his defeated Dolphins. Gentlemen, he said in the locker room after that game, today we start next season to play in and win Super Bowl Seven. Now, that's pretty darn smart. And not only did they win it, they set an undefeated season of 17 straight wins. Wow. So isn't that the right attitude to have? Don't go you know, in there and start kicking and yelling and telling them that they're schmucks. I mean, he just said, okay, today we start. Now, that's teamwork as far as I can tell. Yeah, and that's an elite coach right there because he instantly had that next play mentality where, yes, you can sulk and, and be sad about losing or you can create the shared vision of, okay, how do we get to back here and, and win the championship? And that's exactly. an awesome story. Thank you for sharing that. Exactly. Well, you can find it on uh, Tunney's side of sports. He's been writing these things for years. I think we, I don't even know, we're, we're at 700 and some odd. I mean, he loves to write about sports and what he sees in sports and how, like you, how sports can translate into real life, you know, because it's about the same thing, isn't it? I mean, you're trying to be the best you can be. That includes life. That includes how you treat other people. So did I ever introduce you to him? I need to do that. Not yet, but I, I will. That. Yeah, nag me. You can email me and and just say in the subject lane, nag number one, and I'll go, Oop, and I'll take care of it because I'll know what it is. <laughs> okay, okay, so in your book, and I love this about your book, you have players persp- – I mean, you have – sections where you ask questions and then there's room for people to go ahead and fill it out so they can go, yeah. And you're talking about in this one, player's perspective, can your teammates and coaches count on you to always have a next play mentality like we just mentioned Coach Shula did or just when things are going well for you and your team? Are you seeing that teams are kind of growing up in terms of their personalities? Like, okay, we're not going to be schmucks or punks on the court 
or wherever it is we are, we're going to actually be part of the team. Because I've seen some videos, because I'll watch them because I need to, and I'm thinking, what the heck is wrong with you people? It's not about you. You're not the only person on that field. What's going on here? Are people finally, in what you're seeing, are they finally saying, you know, this is not a standalone sport. I have to be part of the team. I think it all starts with the head coach and uh, players model model the behavior. You know, they're, they're the ones that set the standards for the program and what's acceptable and what's not. And when a coach highlights the strengths of all their players and, and like you said, you know, it creates a shared vision that everybody can buy into, that's the most important part is the buy-in. And once the players know you care about them, I think the buy-in is, um, you know, pretty easy. To, to make happen, and if a if a coach is just playing, you know the the best player, where they're not a great teammate, um, and, and they those are the things that they praise, like oh Johnny's you know so good, give him the ball, and he's you know not a great teammate, he's not he's a selfish player, and the coach values that, then you know the players are getting communicated what type of player that he cares about and and believes you need to win, um, but a lot of these teams that I've studied, you know, all of them value every single player and understand that they can all add value. Um, so, you know, the, the, that's, I guess, the, the main thing um, among all these teams, you know, is in, in regard to that team first mentality is just understanding that we can all um, help our team in some way. And if the coach decides to empower every player, then, you know, great things can happen. Well, I'm reading in communication, you're talking about Tufts University women's basketball, which you say was the number two ranked team in the nation going into the 2020 NCAA tournament. They made it to the Sweet 16 before their season was cut short due to COVID. This is one of the teams that you study, yes? Yes. Do me a favor. Tell us who you study right now so people can go, hmm, I'm going to follow along and see if I see what he's saying. Yeah, so a lot of the games are online, uh, and there's for a lot of teams they're not playing right now. But next year, uh, you know, very hopeful and optimistic. But uh, Tufts University women's basketball. One of my best friend's sister was, um, you know, a very good player, and she was actually named Division Three Player of the Year, uh, which means she was voted as the top women's basketball player in all Division Three, and uh, she was one of the most selfless and, um, and and most like relentless, you know, players on the court that I've ever seen. So she did not care if she scored zero points or 20 points that day. She just did whatever the team needed to win. And she truly embodied being a great teammate and a great leader and uh, everything in the book. Um, she lives and uh, on a daily basis, not just on the basketball court, but in her, in her everyday life. And, I was actually fortunate to have her write a testimonial for the book, um, and uh, she's one of the one of the people that inspired me to write it because just watching her team the past four years, I've been cheering them on, and I think they have like eight losses in four years, and so close to you know over a hundred wins probably or something like that. And uh, just watching them play was incredible, and I think this was the year that they were going to be able to compete for a national championship. So I feel for that team, but know that they'll be ready to go next year. Uh, and then the other teams, I would say Yale University, 
uh, out here in Connecticut. Uh, Coach Jones does a great job with them, and I think trying to watch some of their, their games would be awesome um, for anybody trying to just learn uh, what goes into being a great team. And then uh, Hobart College um, in uh, New York is another Division three men's team that their culture, if you just watch them in the game, they, everything that I talk about in the book, they embody as well. Uh, so those are a few of the teams that I would share with the audience. You know what I've heard you say twice now, and thank you for sharing that so people can go find them and, and watch and, you know, see, oh, I see what he means there. You've said the word relentless twice, and I don't have any kind of sense at all that it's meant in a negative or pejorative way. If I'm understanding you correctly, you're saying that they focus. Kobe, you know, was the first time you used it. They focus and they don't give up and they just keep on going no matter if they have a headache or a bunion or whatever's going on that day they're relentless they're not going to stop because some little thing got in their way or you know distracted them a bit am i am i reading you correctly there yeah i think if you watched uh you watched kobe bryant um or you watched uh, erica DiCandido, who i was talking about for tufts you know just watch them play the game of basketball they're they're great teammates um but when they're on the court, they're going to give everything they have, and they're going to until the, you know until the game is over. Um, they're not going to leave anything um, on the table or have any regrets. And I think the the best thing about both of those um, people is just their preparation. And um, you know, Erica and her brother Mike would wake up at five or six a.m. for the whole summer, preparing uh, for the next season. And they did that over the past four years. And then this year, she was obviously. Uh, awarded Division Three Player of the Year, and so you know a lot of people might think, "Hey, I like I want to win that. I want to be the best player in the country." Um, you know, but she, do you do you want to wake up in the summer when you could be sleeping in and and go work on your game? Um, and you're not just working on your game, showing up to the gym and taking some some jump shots. You know, you're you're working on your strengths and you're working on your weaknesses, and you're you're trying to be the best you can be. Uh, and so both of those players and, and people are relentless uh, on the court and in their preparation. Um, but like I said, also great teammates. And the best thing about being relentless is, you know, it's contagious. You know, if you see your, your team putting in the work, the extra work, um, it, it makes you want to que- it makes you question if you're actually doing everything you can to, to, to improve. Um, so I think relentless is a great word. And um, those are two great people that embody it. Exactly. So, you know, back to um, Tufts, are they doing that now? I'm I'm assuming that they're going to be absolutely ready when they can get out there and play again, that they're not just kind of sitting around and saying, hmm, well, I think I'll run to Starbucks now. <laughs> yeah, I don't, you know, they might run to Starbucks after their, their work, uh, but they recruit the very high-care uh, student-athletes that are also uh-huh. great uh, great um, students in the classroom. So, you know, uh, I've heard a quote, the way you do anything is the way you do everything. And those players, they work hard in the classroom. They're great kids off the court, great people. And then they're great competitors and and teammates. So um, they're just kind of programmed to always be in that next play mode where it's, hey, we don't have a season right now, but how can we continue to get better? And, uh, yeah, they will definitely be ready to go when when the time comes. And I'm thinking, you know, just from the way you're talking about these people, because I'm, I gather that you know a good bit of them, a good bit about them. But do you find that 
because they are high character people. They're educated. They're kind, empathetic, compassionate, relentless in sports and in, you know, bettering themselves. Do you find that they are also looking consciously or even unconsciously looking for ways to help other people just daily all the time? Yes, I do. Um, you know, I can I can speak about um, you know Erica again, and just how she is uh, always looking to help people. Like I know for me with the book, I wanted to pick her brain on some of these things I talked about, just to make sure I was accurate in what I was observing from an outside perspective. And she gave me a lot of insight onto what goes in the day to day. So just the fact that she was willing to help me, um, just because her older brother is one of my best friends, um, you know, meant a lot as well. Um, but yeah, I think that they, you know, the competitors and successful people know that they can't do it alone. And one of my favorite quotes is if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. So obviously, uh, you know, you could be a really good at what you do, no matter what it is, but you need a, a team to help you get even farther to, to what you'd be able to do um, individually. So I think that the best people surround themselves, like you said, um, with people that can do a really good job at the jobs you want them to do. Maybe you can do the job, but you just want somebody else to do it. And, uh, and then you get a really good team um, that's resilient and, uh, and can get through those tough times. And listen, when we're talking about team, you know, I'm speaking to the audience now, we're not saying you have to have 12 people, 100 people, 200 people. You can have a team of one other person. And if that other person understands where you need to go, where you want to go, and that you're going to help one another, that can be just as beneficial as having a whole bunch of people on a team. I'll be honest with you. I want a tight, small team. I don't want to be, you know, running around wrangling those, you know, 10-second goldfish. I just don't. (laughs) I don't have the patience for it. Yeah, me neither. Quality over quantity. Exactly. You find those really great people who, you know, they have their own businesses. They're going to do their own thing, but they're always going to show up when you need them and thank them every day. Okay, so we did in our last chat three weeks ago. Really, it seems like it wasn't that long ago. We did talk a lot about Principle 14 Accountability Circle, but let's touch on that again because I think it's really important. So the Accountability Circle time where the team meets and provides feedback. So it's important for the the leader, whoever's facilitating that meeting, to create a safe environment where people feel comfortable to speak up, but it's not a it's not a time to point fingers or, or blame anyone. You know, it, it could be one or two, somebody's quote unquote fault. Um, but that's not why we're meeting. We're meeting to try to find solutions and, and to continue to improve. So in the basketball context, the team can meet in a circle for five or 10 minutes after a practice. And it's good to be in the circle because then everybody can make eye contact with each other. And as we've talked about a lot, just seeing people's facial expressions and, um, and body language are very important to being uh, making sure everybody's engaged. And uh, the coach um, just communicates that this is a time for us to either get better um, or to praise behaviors that are that are uh, you know going well right now. So an example of that is that the star player could be uh, a ball hog and not passing it, and and they shoot all the shots. And, you know, a player can say, like, hey, uh, you know, definitely one of our best scorers. 
um, but we need you to to make sure you're passing the ball because you missed a few of your teammates being wide open and we didn't score that possession. And uh, I know you're capable of, of being a great passer um, because you've done it before, but if we want to, you know, reach our goal, which is to win the championship, we're going to need you to make sure that you, you involve your teammates. And, you know, if, if we can create an environment where teammates can have that, those conversations opposed to them, no matter what, if it's a, a sports team or just a company going home and complaining about it, but if you can, you know, meet face-to-face and have that tough conversation with the purpose just being to get better as a team, I think a lot of great things can happen. And the other part of it is praising behavior, say, on a, a sports team or a company where there's somebody that has a smaller role, like a manager. It's a great time to say, like, hey, uh, you know, Bilal was great today, um, you know, doing the stats and helping um, – you know, clean the sweat up off the ground and, and cheering on, um, you know, the team uh, when we were practicing. You know, those things are all contribute to a championship culture environment, and it's great to praise people who maybe don't get praised on game day, and um, you know, in a basketball game because they don't play a lot or play at all. It's a great time to, uh, to shout those people out and let them know that you do see what they're doing and that they are adding value. Exactly. I'm going to go off on a bit of a tangent here because you're always, I think, going to find some pe- one person, two people, whatever, however large your team is, that one person who is simply not going to be a good fit no matter how great they are. They just sow discord everywhere they go. What do you do? How do you, if you can't get them emotionally or intellectually or empathetically up to where they need to be, to be part of a team, what do you do? They're just not going to play ball, so to speak. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. Well, I know. I brother... thought that was very smart, too. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, my older brother had a, a local travel team, and he coached with a lot of these principals, uh, and they, I think, lost um, like eight games in their first year. And there's a, like you said, there's two kids that, that were good kids. They just didn't fully buy in. Uh, They were more concerned about, um, you know, themselves and complaining to the ref or, or sitting at the end of the bench and um, opposed to supporting their team. And so he ended up cutting them and added two kids that just had a great work ethic and great attitude. And uh, they ended up only losing one game uh, the next year by just getting rid of those two kids. So um, if you give them an opportunity to, uh, you know, to buy into the team and you give them, you know, you gave them like five months and they still didn't do it, then, uh, you know, then you may have to cut somebody or, or have a tough conversation. And, of course, now I want to know, did those t- kids learn anything or are they still whining and sniveling? Um, I think hopefully he, he knows, he, they all know he, they truly, he cared about them and he gave them a lot of opportunities to do things that require no talent at all to buy into the team. Um, and they chose not to do that. So hopefully those life lessons that he was trying to instill, they, they realize, and then they go on to high school because they're just middle school kids, and they hopefully embody oh. some of the principles he was sharing. Yeah, their little brains have a lot of catching up to do. Listen, before I let yeah. you go, and I say that about every one of us, it doesn't matter what our age is, we still have a lot of catching up to do. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with the audience before I let you go? I think just the gratitude piece where I mentioned that, you know, in our last conversation, but just being grateful for the things you have in your life, the people you have in your life, 
and um, and I post on my social media um, the word of the year for 2021 for me is believe. Now we have to we need to believe that things will get better. We need to believe in ourselves, and we need to believe um, in, in in the people in our life. And uh, I think you know better things are coming, and uh, I'm just excited to see what's next. I am too. And you know, this year I decided that my one word, because I don't do, you know, New Year's resolutions, that's just nonsense. If you're going to do it, you would have already done it. But my my word was going to be focus until I started chatting with you today. And now I'm changing. I just changed it actually on my whiteboard. It's now relentless. Wow. So thank you for that. that yeah. Thank I had you. not thought of it like that, but now I'm like, okay. Now I'm all in because focus is terrific, but what am I focusing on? Well, now I know. So it took this conversation for me to winnow that out and go, oh, there it is. I really appreciate that. Appreciate you doing that. I think it's going to encourage me to be more relentless as well. So it uh, has a great effect on everybody that you share it with. Thank you. Well, listen, before I let you go, again, I'm going to do this again. Where can people find you? Yeah, so on Twitter, uh, my name is Dan Horowitz1, D-A-N-H-O-R-W-I-T-Z, and the number one. And then my email is contactdanhorowitz at gmail.com. And love to connect with anybody that has any questions or follow-up. And your website? And my website is uh, danhorowitz.com. Um, oh, and there's that other was information easy. on there as well. Yeah. Right. And the book is there. And listen, y'all, I'm talking to the audience again here. Get the book. And it's not just for sports. We've been covering that. There's so much. These 14 principles are pretty amazing. And the little worksheets are pretty great, too. So thank you. Well, Daniel, thank you so much for coming back in, in quick order. I really appreciate that. And it's been wonderful speaking with you again, and I thank you for all of the wonderful tips and the advice that you've shared with our audience. So before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us in iTunes and honestly, anywhere else you consume your business podcasts. You can also find us on Amazon Prime. Who knew? So just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Daniel, thank you, and Happy New Year to you and yours. Thank you. Happy New Year. Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab.